Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, I am speaking to Dr. Jean-Pierre Larker, who was an epidemiologist at the Centre for Cancer Prevention at Queen Mary University of London. But he did, uh, but since then, he's taken up medical training and is actually approaching the end of his studies. Uh, we were also joined by Professor Willie Hamilton, who is the Professor of Primary Care Diagnostics at the University of Exeter. Uh, and he is a GP, but he did recently... Uh, stop clinical practice. Uh, The paper is Targeted Encouragement of GP Consultations for Possible Cancer Symptoms, a Randomized Controlled Trial. Now, we know that later stage of cancer diagnosis is associated with poorer survival. And I started by asking Jean-Pierre if he could tell us a little bit more about the known gap in cancer survival between the UK and other comparable high-income countries. It's been known uh, for some time that, unfortunately, in the UK, survival for common cancers um, lags behind uh, survival in uh, sort of other comparable high-income countries. And uh, because generally being diagnosed with later-stage cancers is associated with a poor prognosis, um, it's believed that this survival gap that exists is largely because of delays in cancer diagnoses in the UK, um, which then will result in people having later stage disease by the time they're diagnosed and uh, poor prognosis. So thinking about what this these delays can uh, be caused by, they can be split into sort of two broad categories. So these can be uh, delays on uh, the part of the patient. Um, so this is a delay perhaps from when they first experience symptoms to when they might present to a GP or to another healthcare professional. Uh, and this can be called the patient interval. Um, but then there are other delays uh, between once the patient's presented and then once they're diagnosed with a cancer. Um, and so we can broadly call this the system interval. Um, and so um, one thing I think it's important to recognize at the beginning of this is that unfortunately, since uh, 2010, uh, these system delays uh, have been steadily increasing in England. Um, so that's something separate to our work, but it, I think it's something that's important to acknowledge. Um, and I think it's also important to acknowledge that during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, it's likely that both the patient intervals and system intervals uh, have both increased as well. Um, because, for example, we know that referrals for cancer symptoms reduced uh, quite significantly last year. Um, so I just wanted to start with that background. Um, but our, our sort of work's mainly focused on or entirely focused on sort of the patient interval side of things. Um, and there's been lots of work uh, in the UK uh, aimed at trying to reduce the patient uh, part of the interval. Um, and this has included campaigns such as Be Clear on Cancer, um, which has been going since 2010, um, and other mass media campaigns which have aimed to increase cancer symptom awareness in the general public. So these campaigns are focused on abdominal, genitourinary, uh, breast and uh, lung cancers uh, mainly. Uh, and more recently, there's been some other campaigns aimed at trying to increase uptake of uh, screening as well, uh, which have been piloted in, in some areas of the UK. Yeah, so evaluation of sort of those campaigns, those mass media campaigns has showed some encouraging results, but there have been uh, some uh, reports from other campaigns which appear to have increased referrals. Um, So for example, for bowel symptoms, uh, but don't appear to have impacted uh, the number of cancer diagnoses uh, and uh, the stage of of disease at diagnosis. Um, So this sort of led to the idea for our study, which was 
to test the targeted intervention, uh, which uh, we chose a postal symptom awareness intervention, which consisted of a leaflet for six cancer red flag symptoms uh, with an enclosed uh, GP endorsement letter that encouraged just general, more regular presentation at general practice. Yeah, let me just go back. So let me do a couple of things. So the approach is going to be more targeted rather than kind of your know, population wide, although there's some encouragement there with that side of things. Um, I, I noticed that you had a particularly you had a you had a nice acronym, of course, for your randomized control trial, which is an absolutely essential part of any RCT these days, which is the writing to encourage late consultation outpatients to make engagement with their GP. Welcome, GP. And you can't have an RCT without a top quality uh, acronym these days. So, um, so let's so tell us a little bit more about what you did exactly, Jean Pierre, in the study. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, just on on the acronym, uh, I I think it's fantastic. I I can't claim credit for it. Uh, that was uh, created uh, before I joined the project. But uh, my wife mentioned to me the other day that she thought it sounded a bit like something Yoda might say. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I so wish I, your wife had this one. <laughs> um, but um, no, yeah. So what we did? So we, we tested this um, targeted uh, postal symptom awareness intervention. Uh, that consisted of uh, a leaflet uh, with information about six uh, so-called red flag cancer symptoms, um, along with an endorsement letter from a GP at the patient's practice, uh, which encouraged them to attend more regularly uh, at their practice. And uh, we, we tested that in a randomized trial with 23 practices across uh, England uh, in rural and urban areas. Yeah, so you had practice in the northeast, Greater Manchester, Greater London, um, and uh, so I mean that's it's worth emphasising that the intervention here was just a single postal, a single letter to the patients, nothing else. Yeah, so it was a one-off uh, intervention. So uh, they received uh, sort of one letter that had within it this leaflet, um, uh, which was uh, designed by uh, Tani Moda Martins uh, and uh, also Willie Hamilton at Exeter. Uh, led on that uh, and also this standardized letter as well uh, signed by their GP so it was just one a one-off uh, intervention. Okay and before we go on to the results because we're in interested to hear them you should tell us a little bit about which groups exactly you targeted mm. for the letter. Yeah the um, patients we wanted to target were patients who were most at risk of late presentation uh, if they were to develop cancer symptoms and this is based on uh, previous uh, work that's identified patients uh, who are more likely to present uh, to emergency services rather than uh, to primary care. Um, so we targeted patients aged uh, 50 to 84 um, and these patients had to have not attended their practice in the previous 12 months um, and also had to have two of the following uh, criteria. So uh, they needed to be in the bottom two uh, deciles of um, the index of multiple deprivation, uh, and that was the 2015 edition. Um, and they had to have also uh, either missed uh, a screening appointment for the uh, breast, bowel, cervical, um, or AAA screening, or have uh, missed an appointment for chronic disease management, such as a type 2 diabetes monitoring uh, appointment or a, 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 a um, uh, hypertension monitoring appointment. Uh, or they had to be uh, living alone. So um, we uh, identified this by patients who are the only person registered at their address at their practice, um, or they had to be a smoker. 
Yeah. So, I mean, a good list for GPs to have in mind anyway, in terms of people that when they present, are bearing in mind that there are people who are more likely to present late. So we should you should go on and tell us the results, Jean-Pierre. What did you find? Uh, yeah. So um, from this uh, trial, uh, we uh, followed patients up for just six months afterwards. Uh, and the, the main thing we were looking at was uh, were there any differences in the number of consultations uh, between the two arms? Um, and uh, one thing we found was that there was a higher rate of consultation in the intervention arm when compared to the control arm. Uh, and this equated to um, 436 uh, consultations in the intervention arm uh, versus 335 in the control arm, which was statistically significant. Um, However, what we didn't identify was any difference in the number of patients consulting. So um, that was perhaps a slightly disappointing uh, result of our, of our study was that although we managed to increase uh, attendance in terms of uh, getting patients to attend more frequently, we didn't manage to uh, show any difference in the number of patients attending. Yeah. And the study was powered for that, wasn't it? I think in the initial, you know, in the initial methodology was hoping to to detect that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, there were some other sort of secondary, I think, I can't remember if they had them officially as secondary outcomes, but in terms of what actually what happened in terms of the general practice activity when they got there, there, there were some differences, weren't there? Yeah. So one, one of the things we wanted to do with this study was um, because of the well-recognized uh, pressures on both primary and secondary care, we wanted to have a look at sort of what the impact of the intervention might be in terms of uh, primary care activity and also um, referrals. Um, And uh, so when we looked at this, um, this sort of uh, significant finding that we uh, picked up was that um, there were more uh, clinical investigations and examinations related to appointments in the intervention arm. Uh, So there was 282 of those versus uh, 212 in the control arm. Again, that was statistically significant. So so yeah, so that was the the main finding we found with that. It's also probably important to mention that there was a trend for more referrals to secondary care. So there was 85 in the intervention arm versus uh, 56 in the control arm uh, with a p-value of 0.07. So although uh, not statistically significant, it looks like that with a a larger sample size, possibly, then we might have found a, a statistically significant difference there. Okay. Yeah, we're always careful with statistical significance here in terms of, you know, either you know, either way, if you're either side of that allegedly magic number, of, we know exactly how arbitrary that is, 0.05, but that was obviously quite close, wasn't it? Um, so interesting finding. We should move on a little bit to the implications, and I might drag you in here, Willie, to speak a little bit about sure. this. What, 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 where do you think, what do you think this study tells us about the direction of travel, what we need to be doing differently, in the, particularly in light of the COVID situation? Sure. Thanks, Sean. I mean, I think we have to interpret this study that the hard to reach who we were targeting remain hard to reach. But those who we did reach, we reached out to and they're doing more. So there are positives out of this study, too. It does appear as if engagement of a small proportion of patients was enriched. Uh, and Ewan's point of uh, uh, them presenting more symptoms, them receiving more health care, uh, them getting more tests, getting more referrals, assuming all of these were appropriate, and I have no reason to think they weren't, suggests that a small number of patients did glean benefit from this. Uh, we have to remember that 
the hard-to-reach group that, that JP has just described to us is a heterogeneous group. When you look at patients who don't attend general practice, they fall into two broad groups, the very healthy and the unhealthy. And obviously, we wanted to capture the unhealthy or the potentially unhealthy and drag them in. But our, our sample will have been, I'll use the word contaminated, that's a rude word, but we'll have contained a number of patients who were healthy and therefore who didn't need to engage or at least perceived that they didn't need to engage. And you see that with the age group. The age group, despite us wanting to go up to 84, our age is dominated by the people in the 50s, just a bit below the rail cancer age group. So. The, the, the positives for me were that, yes, it did seem to end up with higher quality health care for a proportion of patients who received this letter. What it doesn't tell me is how long that will last. I don't know if this letter sent out, when did we send out JP? 2015, 2016. It's still working in 2021. And whether it'll be working in the pandemic, well, at least they know the practice telephone number. <laughs> they know their GP likes them. Uh, yeah, and all these things are real, uh, even if we can't measure them. What we don't know is whether a repeat letter would strengthen that argument, whether there's a ceiling, whether one has done enough and you don't need a second uh, or a third. There certainly is an argument now when there is real concerns about patients sitting on important symptoms in the community and not engaging with healthcare, whether we should repeat the exercise now, not just within the trial, but actually within the country. It, it's The encouraging thing for GPs is it, it didn't cause a wave of unnecessary, and that's a horrible term, but a wave of appointments when general practice is, it's life's tough out there. Uh, and I None of us, uh, JP included, wanted to dramatically increase the number of appointments. It does seem to have a relatively appropriate increase, which might be worth repeating. As a general thought, and this is a slightly broader question, what what do you think are the, going to be the key areas now in terms of that? You're obviously your expertise in cancer diagnosis, Willie. With COVID, what you know, where are the areas we should be best concentrating our our efforts? To, to tackle some of this concern around a worsening problem of misdiagnoses that you know is occupying everybody at the moment. Yeah, sure. You the the problem splits into three. I'm sorry to say, uh, it, and we will have to come back to this. This paper is about the first. The first is is getting patients to engage with healthcare, uh, and I think things like this, things like. Um, the Secretary of State did say we're open for business, even though he said at the time we manifestly weren't open for business, but at least he was saying the right thing. Uh, and so the, the more the, the, the Chris Whitty, etc., can say, come on in, in. the door is open, uh, I think is good news. The second bit is will GPs choose to refer? Well, referral numbers are back up to about 90%, and some hardly fell, breast hardly fell, colorectal dropped dramatically and they're picking up again uh, so uh, again i think it's we're moving towards referral as normal in primary care it is more difficult because there's fewer face-to-face -face consultations and examinations are harder to do and investigations there's just that little bit more of a barrier to investigations um, and the final bit is is there the capacity in secondary care 
and that that has been a significant problem with imaging departments in particular and endoscopy. Again, endoscopy is getting up towards full capacity, but not quite there. Uh, imaging is tougher because you have to clean the machinery if the patient coughs over them. Uh, uh, so, uh, and if I've got time, the, the, the final bit is, can we use the pandemic to re-stream these pathways? So, so the use of FIT, fecal chemical testing, which was available in general practice and which was being used and was worked has now become mainstream in secondary care. So the patients who are receiving a two-week grade referral are getting a fit test. So can we get the GP to do a fit on everyone who may have possible colorectal cancer and to, to make a referral decision based on that? So, so we must never waste a good crisis, it, it is a real expression. And I think we should do that in this country. That's really helpful. Thank you, Willie. I'll, I'll come back to you, Jean-Pierre, just to, to summarise and finish off. Perhaps you could you could just, in a few words, tell us the key findings from your paper. wonder if a, a sort of a, a good way to go through this might be sort of uh, telling the story, sort of how, what the numbers might be per practice, um, just because uh, I think that that's more helpful maybe for the, the sort of GPs listening. So, um, in terms of uh, sort of uh, this intervention, because it's targeted towards sort of what are a rel relatively small proportion of uh, a pa practice uh, list, uh, around about 1% um, only really um, for most of the practices was the, the number we were being told was, was coming up from the searches. Um, so um, by targeting sort of those patients, um, uh, per practice, uh, the, the sort of impact of the study was that um, we were getting about uh, four additional consultations, uh, and three of those would have associated investigations, which wouldn't have necessarily been the case in the control arm, uh, plus one additional referral to secondary care per practice over a six-month period. So um, when you sort of explain it like that, it, it, I think it helps uh, to sort of demonstrate that although these are potentially very important uh, consultations, it's not a huge amount of extra work for practice. Um, but, you know, also thinking about that um, across the whole UK, um, based on the sort of numbers from this study, if this type of intervention was to be done, even just one off across the whole of the UK, um, you could expect an additional um, 6,500 consultations um, per month um, and an additional um, 2,000 referrals to secondary care over a six-month period. Uh, and that could translate into quite a significant uh, result in terms of um, uh, diagnoses, I think. So I think it's important to sort of keep those kind of numbers in mind. Yeah, that's an incredibly helpful way to, uh, to put it and a really useful summary. Uh, Jean-Pierre, thank you very much. And Willie, thank you very much as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. <laughs>